This episode was brought to you by the Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Thanks for tuning in today, guys, to this podcast episode. Now, this one is actually a little bit different to our usual interview style topics. As you would have read, we will be talking about the floods and the fish kills. Now, I'm actually going to create more podcasts over the next couple of months, some written articles and blogs on our website, and possibly even a little video series on what is actually happening. Now, it's not a topic I would like to be talking about, but seeing as this is our third major fish kill in just over a decade, I really wanted to shed some light on actually what is happening. We had big fish kills in the 2010-2012 floods. We had big fish kills, massive fish kills in the 2016 floods. And it looks like we are having or we're going to have a massive hypoxic event coming our way in the lower Murray and those rivers out west this summer. It has already begun. It has already started. The floods are still, the water is still making its way downstream and it is not looking ideal. This flood here is a very different or a little bit different to previous ones where some of these fish kills could be for other reasons. We're going to look into that. We'll talk about that in this podcast episode, but we are looking on our hands to have maybe or possibly a big hypoxic event coming. Now, the reason I wanted to create this podcast is to shed some facts and some light on what is happening. It is terrible to see these fish dying. It hurts to see even one dead fish, let alone hundreds and thousands of dead fish. And the little bit that we see on social media, there is so much more and so many worse things going on out there in areas where you can't even access. People will never even see these fish floating and dying. So what I wanted to do is shed some light because there is a lot of, and I'm going to say it, rubbish and crap going around on social media. There's a lot of made-up things, opinions. Yes, people are angry and yes, they are passionate, but there is a lot. And, and, and you might be wondering what is going on. You read through the comments and then just do not believe things that people say unless they know what they're talking about. And I thought I would solve that for everyone out there listening or everyone out there wondering through this podcast channel following podcasts coming up and some written and video content. We're going to create a few pieces on what is happening, what we believe is happening, why it is happening and the most important thing moving forward, what we can do to stop it because the bottom line is we have caused this. Humans, not we personally, but humans, people have caused this issue and it is a a, a side effect of civilization Yes, there are things we can definitely do though. So that's that's our goal. We've we've built these impoundments, we've built these systems, water storage, we've got farming, all these different things which are impacting our fish. Now it's our turn to try and change what we're doing a little bit so that we can still, you know, make crops, businesses can, businesses can still make money, we can still have water to survive through drought periods, but while also looking after the fish. The the fish population has declined hugely uh, from pre-European settlement. I think that the, the quote, the rough quote thrown around now is there's 10% of the fish left, of the native fish left from what there was pre-European settlement. It is 
the fishing has definitely been a lot better in the last two decades. Um, I know, you know, 15, 20 years ago, the fishing was was quite tough. There was not many big cod around uh, in certain pockets. So the banning of set lines, you know, the uh, catch and release mentality, this is all amazing for our fisheries. But if we have a 40 or 50-year-old cod dying, especially on the lower Murray, which is the 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 beginning point of Murray Cod, it is the mighty Murray River. That is where the iconic cod grow to their biggest proportions and sizes. We should have a massive stronghold of fish down along the Murray River all the way through uh, western New South Wales and into South Australia. This is the area that is get being hit by these blackwater events. These fish take 40 years to get to that proportions. We've now had three or we're on looking like having our third blackwater event in 12 years. This is not going to be good for our population, so we have to do something. So, whatever is causing it, why they are dying, is really doesn't seem. It really is. It doesn't matter as long as we actually know what is causing it and do something about it. That that is the key thing. Doing something about it doesn't matter. Don't we don't need to blame people. We don't need to point fingers. What we need to do is do something about it. So. That's the point of this podcast. I'm actually going to explain what is happening. We're going to shed some light on why these fish are dying. And I've even, I've talked to experts um, and I've also looked at the own my, the data myself because I have a, a, a very limited but a reasonable amount of knowledge on what is causing this. And if you take that knowledge and then look at the data, I, I created some graphs myself the other day on water flow. You can see why this is happening. We have seen something happen in the last 12 years that we have never seen happen or the last 20 years that we have never seen happen since since the first recordings of flows on our rivers and impound- from the impoundment storages and our rivers. And some of them go back to 1930, 40, 50. So if you look at data all the way back there, um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a crazy scenario on our hands. If we don't see the weather patterns that we have had, yeah, no, it's going to keep happening, actually. It's, just, it's going to keep happening. But anyway, this is going to be an interesting topic uh, and an interesting chat. And I was lucky enough last week to get on a call with a gentleman uh, called Peter Phillips. Now, he is based and grew up in Echuca. He is an environmental science teacher, and he's actually doing his PhD on floods, blackwater, and he floated the Murray in 2016 during the floods. So this man has had a lot of experience being on the water, seeing the fish kills, seeing the blackwater, and has spent way more time than myself studying it and researching it. So what what I've done is I had a chat with him and shed some light on what is currently happening, more so with the random and quite odd fish kills that we are seeing around the Echuca region. Then we lead into some more topic on what is blackwater and what we think might happen for the rest of the summer. But this is a really good foundation to start with to pretty much base ourselves on or to give you a a sound understanding of what is blackwater and what is causing these fish kills. He also touches, I ask him a few questions about uh, moving forward, what we should be looking to do, how we can avoid this. So it's a really interesting topic. It is after I, I sat down and interviewed him, I come out of it absolutely buzzing, going, there is something we can do about these fish kills. He has a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait to get him back on down the track to talk about his studies and what he's doing. It's people like these who can really understand our river systems and our fish and what they need more than just from an angling point of view like myself. And we all need to have some... We need to... All of us need to care in some way or another about the fish species, their habitat and their survival because otherwise there won't be fisheries for us in the future. Yes, fisheries do stock fish. It's awesome, especially in our impoundments. Great stocking efforts in our impoundments and that is amazing because they actually give us somewhere to fish during 
back-to-back years of flood, which we have at the minute. If we didn't have impoundments, the fishing would have been rubbish for the last three years. So at least we've got impoundments for that, but the lifeblood of our native fish, Murray Cod and Golden Perch, starts and ends in our river systems. That is the place we need to look after, and that is the area that is of impact at the minute. So that's enough from me. Let's jump into this episode, and then I'm going to have a bit of a chat with you after um, I have a chat with Peter. So let's jump in now with Peter on the floods and the fish kills. Right, we've got uh, Peter Phillips on the line now. Peter, thanks for joining me. Even though there is a stack that is going on, it's a busy time. You're obviously in a town that is flooded right now. But thanks for joining me. Just to talk a little bit about what is happening right now with the floods, can you share a little bit about yourself and your background and the study that you're actually doing, where you're located and what's happening around your place at the minute? All right. Um, So right now um, we have just had a um, a big flood come down the Campaspe that that that's gone now and it's followed up with a, a flood um, that's been fed by both the Murray and the Goulburn. Uh, here in Echuca we've got three rivers that come together so um, there's always something happening uh, Campaspe, Murray and Goulburn. Um, the Murray River is just 15 centimetres off its peak. It peaked um, oh maybe about uh, four four days ago, four or five days ago um and uh one of the um the interesting things is that um just around that peak we suddenly got um uh fish kills happening and that was totally unexpected um there's a lot lot going on um and uh uh a lot of questions being asked yeah it's a it's a a very tough time especially for those sitting in areas that aren't affected by the floods and watching, you know, all the stuff that goes on on social media and how I got onto you was um, from your really detailed Facebook post and I wanted to touch base with you and, and just get you to explain a little bit about what's going on because there's so many people commenting on things, making up stories, blaming people and I thought this would be a good podcast to put together just to have a bit of an understanding of what's going on with fish kills. Um, mate, what's your background, if you don't mind me asking? So- all right, I'm an environmental science teacher here at St. Joe's, uh, St. Joe's in Echuca. Um and my focus is really on the river because that's that's where my passion lies. Um, there's, not, there's something special about rivers, you know. They they, they come from somewhere, somewhere that you know you follow them to the sea. They're they're awesome things, rivers. I in 2016 I um, kayaked the length of the river, um, gathering data for a PhD on the on um, it was meant to be on the condition of the banks, but I found myself in flood, and uh, the PhD ended up being about the um, the flood I was travelling along. So I spent um, 50 days travelling from the Hume Dam down to Goolwa at the mouth of the Murray, recording uh, what the river did when it was in flood, uh, how it interacted with the land, um, with the vegetation, and um, in places... Um, uh, Blackwater events uh, and how that changed um, and was affected by uh, the tributaries and, and and all the actions people tried to do as travelled down the river. Yeah, so you spent a lot of time on the river. It would have been amazing to float down it. Probably not in the conditions that you saw, but 
you said you're still working on that PhD now um, and a lot of work's been going into that. But from what you saw in 2016, you have a reasonable understanding on what's actually happening now. Can you explain, because what we've had happen now is different to the 2016 floods. As you said, Echuca is in a very odd spot where we've actually had huge rainfall come down the Campaspe and uh, the Goulburn River, whereas a lot of other times it normally comes from further up on the Murray, which is where it's coming from now, but you've got all this water coming down the Goulburn. Can you explain, we've I've obviously already talked about it in other places, but can you explain just the basics of a blackwater event, how it turns hypoxic, and is that what we actually have happening right now in that Echuca area? Okay, so um, your traditional blackwater, which you know, everyone was really quick to say this um, because we saw fish deaths, happens when um, carbon is washed into the river, and that carbon is in the form of barks, leaves, twigs, um, you know, uh, gum nuts, everything. Basically, the mulch you find on the ground uh, builds up over time, and when that is washed into the river, it starts to get saturated, and the carbon that is in that, uh, all those little particles, gradually becomes available to the living things in the water. So this starts small with fungi and bacteria and um, and so on. Uh, and eventually that is then made available to um, shrimp and, and the smaller fish and uh, the macroinvertebrates, so your, um, all your insect larvae and so on. So that it, it forms then the base of the food chain. And this is where black water is a bit of a twin-edged sword. Um, black water is really um, formed because of the tannins that are leached out of those those bits of wood and vegetation. So it's a bit like a tea bag. When you leave it in boiling water, it discolors the water. And that doesn't provide the, the taste, the, the colour doesn't provide the taste, it, it's, it's the tannins. The same thing with black water. It's the tannins that leach out of the, um, the um, leaf litter and, and wood that's on the on the forest floor in the winter in days in this kind of conditions these kind of conditions where the uh, temperatures are low and there's been quite a lot of wind around that black water is gold for the river because it actually forms the basis of the food chain but if your flood and a lot of them do carry on into summer into hot conditions you've got still water uh, temperatures above 30 degrees um, then the bacteria start to to really boom they get out of control and when roll with their growth they actually strip the oxygen out of the water and that is then an anoxic event so water that where all the oxygen is being used up and there you get your craze crawling out of the river um, your cod going belly up and and basically the whole uh, water-based ecosystem becoming stressed um, doesn't seem to be what's happening now. What's happening now, or what happened, um, the fish started to swim at the surface and started to die while the water was actually a milky, milky brown. So where, uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, where are the fish kills that you are referring to happening? What region, just so people get an understanding of where they're actually dying, the ones you're referring to? Well, firstly, I have to talk about where I am because it's really hard to get out. Um, in 2016, I was able to travel the length of the river system um, when it was in flood. But 
um, this time it's been all been declared an emergency area. It's actually illegal to get on the water. So first, my first experience was here uh, in town. Uh, you know, I, there, there wouldn't be a day where I don't go down to the river and look what's happening. Um, so I started to see fish, um, fish especially yellow belly, gathering um, at the side of the uh, river in Ichuka. Um, and then I started to get, I, I wrote that post, um, did a bit of research, wrote that post, and I started to get a lot of feedback from other people. So uh, it had been happening in Shepparton, it was happening all the way down the Goulburn. Um, it um, took a while to move downstream from us. It didn't seem to be happening upstream of Shepparton on the Goulburn. It didn't seem to be happening on the Murray upstream of um, Barmer. Um, and it wasn't happening initially in the Edwards-Swakul system, which is um, north through Denny, where the Murray splits up in the Barmer-Millawa forest and flows both north and south. Um, so I started tracing this event and I, I started looking at the data. So there's publicly available data through um, um, DELP, the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning in Victoria and Water New South Wales in, in New South Wales. And, you can actually um, look up um, uh, places where they measured dissolved oxygen and they compare it to flow and height and things like that. And what, um, what uh, was noticeable was that the, um, the deoxygenated water, um, we'll call it that rather than black water, actually travelled, was, was damming up on the eastern side of old Lake Canupella, which is a, um, a paleo lake, a lake that doesn't exist anymore, but it's still there in the landscape. And that's what's, um, it was filled up by the Goulburn. And on the, all around this ancient lake, there are these sand dunes and they act like barriers and only so much water can fit through at a time. So masses of water coming down the Goulburn. So it was 100,000 megalitres a day or was it 100? It was a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of water. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten the figures. Sorry. That's all right. Um, and it, it basically couldn't couldn't fit couldn't couldn't get through these these gaps in the sand dunes, and um, built up on the eastern side of Canupella, and then that it also couldn't fit down the Golden Channel, so it was flooding way out across the landscape, and in doing so, it was accessing all these old channels that run across the landscape, and some of these channels run into um, floodways and some of them flow actually into other creeks. So it accessed the Murray through its, um, through its traditional junction, but also through um, a large anabranch system called Deep Creek, which is about um, uh, 12 kilometres upstream of there or eight, 18 kilometres upstream. And then through a series of overland channels into uh, the Broken Creek, which um, enters the Murray actually at the Barmer Lakes. And it pushed, it was so high that it actually pushed the Murray backwards and carried that um, deoxygenated water all the way past Barmer, all the way up to Picnic Point. And it's now um, uh, the, the lie of the land, once you get past Picnic Point, all the water that's in the Barmer Forest actually flows north. 
it actually begins a bit further south than that, but Picnic Point is the point we usually say. And it flows north through the Gulper Creek along the Edwards and then down the Edwards Waikul system. So that black water, that, that anoxic water has actually just in the last couple of days hit um, Deniliquin and it's frighteningly low. It's, it's down around 0 0.5 parts per million, uh, which, is, which will kill just about all fish except for catfish. Yeah, right. So it's and, and it flowed up. I heard I heard stories of this, so it's cool that you talked about it. It actually went back up. So I understand that section of the Murray. For those who don't, it's probably a little confusing, but it pretty much went back up for how many kilometers from where it yeah, meets the Murray to Barma? Well, to Barma, uh, it's about 30, um, 32 kilometers upstream of the Golden Junction. And yes, I've never seen in my life. I'm itching to get out there, but all the pathways are blocked and we've made it illegal to get on the river. Yeah, wow. <laughs> out there in the shot, this is a once-in-a-lifetime event. Yeah, um, so it's flown through, because where it comes in, it would obviously flow where the river is, but it also through, flows through that southern forest, like just cut straight through that entire forest, but push its way north up to the Edwards, and then it's running north now through the Edwards. Um, that's it, that's it. Wow, that is it a does, lot of water. It, Forest like a sheet, but it it flows slowly there. You 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 know where it goes through the forest. It's a gentle flow. It's not frightening at all. Right. And then the in the channels though, it streams. It shoots. Um. So the lie of the land is actually to the north. The natural flow in the Murray is um. Well, the flow in the Murray these days is is to the south. But um, that there's there's evidence that that only actually first happened about five hundred years ago. Up until about 500, actually, they've got it plus or minus 10 years. It's 550 years. 550 years ago, um, the Murray broke through that ring of sand dunes around old Lake Canupella and took over the old bed of the Golden and flowed through Chuka. Before that, um, it, it flowed north following the lie of the land. Um, the rivers, as they flow through this floodplain landscape, they actually deposit all around them first. As the water leaves the channel, flows over the land, it drops its sediment. So the highest parts um, are closest to the river because the further you go from the river, the less sediment there is. Yeah. What happens is the rivers become higher and higher in the landscape, not, not the, 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 the channel, but the land around. So eventually they sort of, they, they break out of that and they break out of it north or south and at the moment we're in one of those southern breakouts but up until 550 years ago they followed the lie of the land through through um Deniliquin. and the floodwaters tend to do that too so once they get past that high point created by the river they actually spill north and that's so those high waters from the Goulburn, once they got to the high point which was picnic point uh, they just follow the flow that's crazy. It's so interesting. Oh, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I could talk to you for hours about this. But anyway, so that's what's it's, – it's, it's fascinating and I can see why you've spent so much time studying it and traveled the entire Murray. Um, and I imagine it's killing you not being able to get out there and see it happening. But Yeah, I, I, have, I have considered going getting the commando gear out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, righto, back to what – so you've got these – the water going back, and you're saying that's the direction that this this uh, this low oxygen water is traveling. But can you explain because it's not black, 
it's not from what you've observed, it's not your traditional black water because it'd be very rare to see hypoxic water when it's not hot yet, especially through that goal, like the Goulburn River because the Goulburn River flows quite quick. Like that water wouldn't be sitting around. Obviously, it's sitting slower on the floodplain, but it's still cold. The temperature is still cold. So what have you found is, is happening well, with this flood? Um, this is the next piece in the puzzle, if you like. So those data things, uh, data uh, measuring stations, um, we don't have many in Australia, but we tend to put them in key places. And, and those key places, if you piece them together, they, they tell you a story. So uh, the key thing in this one is, is flow and um, dissolved oxygen. And what you can do is you, you go back upstream until the dissolved oxygen until you find where it's coming from. And if you trace these ones back, they go to Shepparton. They're not coming down the Murray. The water that's coming through the forest, entering the forest is great. It's sitting around six parts per million. Just before uh, you keep going, what's a, what's, a, what's a good, I know you just said six parts per million, but what's a, a good standard, what's an average quality of oxygen? Uh, every fish would be pretty happy with six parts per million. Maybe not a trout, I'm not sure. They, they like a bit more. Right, oxygen. so six parts is our average. Six parts is, is good. So say um, I've been looking at a I've been looking at um, a, a year on the campaspe. A year on the campaspe, midsummer, it will get down to campaspe hardly flows in summer, so it's 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 yep. a bit rough. Yeah, that get down to about two to two point five parts per million. That's low. Really, a lot of fish will suffer. Um, yeah, yeah, that's at Echuca anyway. Yeah upper reaches where there's more flow, there's less pooling. Um, we get a bit of pooling from the Murray down here. Um, it'll be better. Yep. Okay, uh, cool. In the winter, it gets up to 12.5. That's, that's you know, beautiful oxygen-rich water. Right, okay. And then yeah. what? at what point do, do cod and yellowbelly suffer and start to pretty okay. much die? The rule of thumb is um, native fish start to suffer at uh, four parts per million. They start to do something called air surface respiration. In other words, they come to the surface and they're trying to breathe air. Right. Yeah. And is it possible? But, Can they breathe air to a point uh, or not what, really? Uh, not really. No. Right. They gulp it a bit. But if they do gulp it, I suppose they're just um, getting a bit of oxygen over their wet gills. So it has to be wet. Yeah. Right. Um, some fish do this and some don't. So Murray cod almost don't do it almost not at all they they will come i have seen them um uh, tailing a a a, a a a tree a tree stump that's in the in the water when there's a lot of flow and there'll be a bit of you know oxygenation of the water around the stump and they'll sit in that eddy and they can survive that way people have said that they've seen them uh following their tinnies uh the propeller and the and the wash wow uh, that's extreme just, isn't it yeah, but I haven't seen that this time. That was tales from 2016. Yeah. Um, but um, they, so they tend to try and seek out oxygen-rich water. Um, so they, they are the most sensitive, pretty much. They start to suffer at four parts per million, um, and they tend to die at two parts per million. Um, the next most sensitive are the bony brim. At least the, I, I've read a study with four fish compared. There'll be people who know more than me about this. Uh, but going off this study by a lady called Helen Watts, no, Robin Watts, um, she then 
and looked at bony brim. They were your next most um, resilient. Um, but they know how to surface breathe. They come at, up to the surface quite early. They're usually the first fish you'll see are surface breathing. Right. They don't occur up around Ichukaway. They, they occur in the river downstream of Swan Hill. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the yellow belly. And the yellow belly are usually a flood specialist. Um, they actually ride on flood waves. They, they, they are not far behind. If you've ever seen those images of water rushing down, desert streams that have been dry uh, see all that debris organic debris that's being pushed along in front the yellow belly aren't far behind that yeah they, they use it as a as a, a um, opportunity to expand their territory to migrate um, and to breed in the in the in the um, as those floodwaters reach into the dry lands you know the insects um, go nuts uh, they start their breeding cycle too, and the yellow belly are there ready to eat them. And their young have got a food source. So the yellow bellies are flood specialists. They're your next ones. So uh, then after that come catfish, and the catfish um, can handle water down to 0 0.5 parts per million. So they um, they can handle being in billabongs, so that makes sense for them. They might not like that their whole life, but yeah. Yeah. And so, so pretty much, you said we're at zero point five, which is getting down to the point where catfish don't like it to a point. So, most fish will die under two. Yeah, most fish are uncomfortable under four. So that's the rule of thumb: is two is two is pretty two is four is not so great. Two is pretty awful. So does that mean you'll see a, a majority of the fish population through that region where that water's sweeping die, or like if it, if it's that low, find refuge. So right. ref, you, you can find um, in and here's in 2016 the uh, catch the water management authorities um, used irrigation water to um, provide refuges and trying to dilute the um, the black water. It was black water then. They can do the same with this. It doesn't matter where your nutrients have come from. Um, uh, so uh, those drainage channels off irrigation uh, irrigation drainage channels are usually not the best water you know they're high in, in, in high in salt and new in uh, fertilizers and so on but they do have oxygen so they can survive around places like that um the campaspe seems to be fine there's no fish deaths in the campaspe so that's a refuge so uh, and there are um lagoons which are isolated from the river which the Catchment management authorities are trying to maintain that isolation. They're trying to maintain the isolation of um, the Gunny Creek as well, Gunbow Creek. But that's more difficult because in a major flood like this, there's a lot of forest flows. And um, I think that might be a losing battle. But they'll still try. They're actually, people are actually out there actively trying to um, save whatever fish they can. People hate seeing the, the fish suffer. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's so sad. Um, what's happening? But, but you did ask where does it come from? So if you follow those um, those low levels of oxygen back, eventually it seems to point to Shepparton, um, and it's um, the massive flood that occurred there, which you know inundated thousands of homes, each of those with a toilet, and also inundated. I think I'm not. I don't have 100 percent information. Inundated the area. Um, I think 
it inundated their sewage works. Right. And this is what you're thinking because it's not a it's not a standard blackwater event. It hasn't got the tannins that uh, the water looks different, and that water's moving quite quick. It's still cold. That yeah. this this low dissolved oxygen points to this area, and and it smells like sewage. Right. Yeah. It smells. Right. It even feels like that kind of thing. And the, is the issue the sewage, or is the issue that that feeds the bacteria in the water? Oh well. It's, it's really the bacteria. Um, though actually, I don't know, uh, Reese. I don't know. So this would be where a fish specialist um, would be better placed to answer your questions. Um, I suspect that it's, it's more than one thing. I suspect it's more than just the oxygen because the yellow bellies are low oxygen specialists and yet they're the ones that are dying before the cod. So I think there's something else happening. It, it could be that the... I imagine the bacterial load, you know, the mixture, the types, the species of bacteria that are that are feeding on this sewage are different to the, the specialists for organic matter like, you know, sticks and leaves, twigs. Um, it, it's like when you put, you know, you don't put meat in your compost because you can get some pretty nasty things. I think putting sewage in your river has a nastier effect than putting uh, leaves and sticks in it. So it, I, I wonder if it's affected their, their gills. You know? mm. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's like adding another issue on top of what already could turn into blackwater, like a standard blackwater event as the summer, like as we come into summer, whether this water recedes or not. So that's what's happening around Echuca. That water is going to continue to flow downstream. Is there any from, and you might not know the answer, but is there any stopping that? Is there any diluting it? Because this is, this from your experience, is this the first time you've seen fish deaths from this kind of load well, of oxygen? In 2016, uh, just the further you went down the river, the more and more organic matter got added. And the time it took for the the, the carbon from the organic matter to be accessible to the bacteria meant that the more time that spent in the water column, the more food was available. So that got worse and worse and worse the further you went down the river. You got to the point where the shrimp were jumping out of the river um, or gathering at the sides and crawling out as well. Um, then you knew it was bad. But this one at McCoy's Bridge, there's actually a sign uh, that four days ago, uh, four or five days ago, the oxygen level suddenly jumped up to, I'm just looking at the graph now, between three and four. Um, and for me, that's a sign that it, it might have passed. Um, I haven't checked out um, the graph the last couple of days, but it, it jumped suddenly uh, on the 29th. So if hope, I'm hoping that that... Um, uh, signals an end to that that input. That um, that jump in oxygen also corresponds with a drop in the levels um, uh, from 9.8 metres at Shep down to about 9.5, you know. 30 centimetres might be making um, all, all the difference as to whether there's more sewage entering the river. That's and fascinating. So may have stopped. And, but that's still got to flow through. There is almost no stopping. You, you do what you can to dilute. There's good water coming down the Murray. Uh, so um, those big flows that are coming out of the Hume today, 75,000 meg a day, 
um, they're going to help dilute it. Uh, that's that's a good that's good news for Denny. Uh, so hopefully their event is quite short. The, the problem is, you know, even a short event um, of really really low oxygen is enough to to kill um, your cod. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 still not okay to breathe for just a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then if oh, that... just wait half a day, and no, it doesn't work. No, so. If that water's coming down the Murray now, will that turn the flow around? Like, will if that if there's enough water coming from upstream from Tokenwall direction, will that push that water and reverse its direction as the Goulburn inflows it, stop? It will. I think that um, it will. Yes, the um, the levels um, they should be dropping down to about fifty thousand um, meg a day going through Shep now. Maybe even forty thousand. I need to check. Um, and that will not be enough to push the water upstream. So the, I think that will have reversed by now. However, the overland water, um, that sort of keeps going for a little while. Yeah. So it's sort of like um, a wave that's, uh, that's travelling along a really flat beach. Once the wave's there, it, the original wave that caused it might be receding, but the little ripples are still going. So they have to... And the, and the water that is travelling through the forest up Golper Creek and the Edwards through Denny will just keep going. Uh, the hope is that it is diluted as soon as possible. Yeah, and then it, it, with the fish, just touching on the fish kills at Echuca, have you seen a lot of fish dying through that area as that oxygen dropped or is it just in pockets because they're able to find refuges from what you've seen? Like are you seeing huge masses of cod or no, not? I have huge masses. Um I've only seen pockets, but I haven't been able to get out on the river. Yeah, of uh, course, yeah. Uh, I'm finding them at the edge. They seem to be coming to the edge. And um, primarily yellow belly. So the yellow belly, who are the flood specialists, are the ones who are dying first. Very odd, very odd. Yeah. And then, so, um, so the cod are the sensitive ones, generally. Uh, so something else is going on. And um, the EPA and... Um, uh, people from Arthur Riley um, and the Catchment Management Authority, they're all working together to try and find out what's happening. Uh, we're just not hearing much from them at, at the moment. Uh, yes. Um... They either, um, and they are investigating, um, but um, they're, they're, uh, they haven't um, publicly communicated uh, what they're thinking. Mm. So... That's what's happening here. The question is, that's that's the fish kills happening where you are. If we look down at the minute from what I've seen, there's a lot of fish that are dying in the Little Murray further, along, a lot further downstream from you. And I know that's yeah. not your area, but that looks like a typical blackwater event. Is yeah, it from your... From of you, you've probably seen it. Does, is that from what you see as a typical blackwater event or is the temperature still well, not high enough yet? again be a bit suspicious because the temperatures are so low yeah um, i suspect that there's more at play there as well um uh, it could be that you know downstream on the lot the little murray that's after kerrang and kerrang has been fully inundated um so again we, we might be seeing um sewage some people are also farms um if there's intensive farming um and you've got cow manure being washed in can have a, a similar effect. Um, and some people are saying things like um, 
faba beans and um, legumes, you know, legumes that um, are high nitrogen in, in content. Um, it's been a really rich year for crops. Um, the only thing that, that, that confused me about that one is that um, uh, we had massive flooding on the Campaspe. We've had uh, fava beans, uh, rich crops and so on, and yet um, haven't seen those kills. The difference would be perhaps that the Campaspe, it's a very, very steep um, river system. So it moves quicker. It moves quicker. It may not have had time to develop. So um, I don't think it's your typical blackwater. This whole event is not typical wherever you find it on the river. The blackwater I saw in the Barmba Forest was healthy. The fish were jumping. It was like I saw little um, swarms of minnows behaving like ocean tuna. It was amazing, all moving at one. Um, Everything's healthy. It smelt great. Um, That was just a week ago. And that's what um, we want, and that's what people think blackwater is bad. But like you said, it's like two sides of a sword. It's it, it's incredible for the river system before it becomes hypoxic, and that's what yeah, you get with a winter flood. Because of the cool temperatures, um, it's not your typical blackwater. It shouldn't be a problem. Um, but we'll have to wait for the uh, the reports that are actually investigating those. Yeah, so. Moving forward, because there's a lot of anglers out there, you know, who who just live and breathe fishing, and the, the fish are their passion. And to see them die is so sad, as it would be for you as well, and so many community members. Moving forward, back, I don't even know. You'd know a lot more about this than me, but going back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there would have obviously been fish deaths in the summertime if there happened to be a massive flood in a summer that didn't have a preceding flood in the winter, but it wouldn't have happened like we have now because obviously what I've watched, because I live up in the top of the catchment, so I'm just below Blaring Dam, so I see the, the water just come out of these Blaring and Burrenjark and Wyangler. And the start of this winter, we had similar rainfall, but because the dams weren't quite full, we held it all back. Not held it all back, but you know, because of human existence, we need to stop flooding, you know, save people's houses, properties from going under. And this is why they do flushes in the wintertime to try and flood the floodplain, but it's not high enough. It's not high enough to to create a blackwater event, what used to happen before we were here. So Yeah, moving... happening there. There's the floods are happening later. Yes. Um, and um, the little floods are missing. And that's, that's documented too. The small floods are missing, the regular floods. When I was growing up here in Ichuka, uh, in the, um, in the, in the 70s, I'm getting on, <laughs> um, and, and 80s, um, we had high river every year. Uh, the water got onto the floodplain. Every, every winter? Every, well, it was actually snowmelt, October. We said October, high river. That's what it meant. And high river meant um, the lowland was under. Is that because Every, the dams were still being constructed during the 70s? That, that was pre-Dartmouth Dam. Dartmouth Dam was um, 1970. I think it filled. It was either 76 or 78. Um, but, yeah, um, so it was pre-Dartmouth. So Dartmouth more than doubled the capacity uh, of the Hume to capture those winter flows and snow melts. So, yes, it meant that we are getting later floods 
and we're getting the same amount of big floods, but we're missing all those middle and small floods. And those middle and small floods are what um, uh, sweep the sweep the forest floor clean. Um, but it's it's more than that. Everyone just talks about flushing out the um, flushing out the, the the leaf litter. It's also it it starts the whole ecosystem. Um, there's if you talk to someone who lives on a river, they'll say there's nothing like a flood to get things going again. It's system right, but if that only happens every ten years, it's like okay, I've given it a kickstart, um, but I haven't really run the motor in. Um, yeah, it, it needs a couple of goes, two or three goes for all the different generations of all the different species to to to, to breed up, um, and. Um, what I've noticed up here, we've had quite a few floods in the last couple of years. We've had all these uh, combinations of La Nina, uh, sorry, La Ninas and Indian Ocean dipoles and so on. They've, they've kept us wet since um, since about uh, 2011. There have been dry years, but there's been a long run of, um, of, of wet years. And it's taken the forest it takes seems to take the forest about three floods to you know to 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 start to get at its best the trees that were suffering um after the millennium drought which you know finished in 2009 um they're only just coming back now we're talking uh we are now what um uh 13 years 12 year yeah so taken all that time and and what you can see in the trees is happening at all levels in the ecosystems, from the fungi in the ground, from the, the animals that live in the ground, and, 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 and you know, throughout, um, throughout the whole food web. That includes breaking down the, breaking down the carbon. Uh, and so missing these small and um, middle-sized floods is a, is a real disruptor. So the heart of Moving forward, is it gonna that, that that's the thing? Obviously, it's a very we've we've changed the landscape so much in such a short period of time. Like what we've done in a hundred years is crazy, but what we've done in the last fifty years has and you've like you've even seen it change in you know the short time we've been on you know the the planet, which is very very short considering how long that river's been there. Is this something that's going to just keep getting worse? Are we going to see... Because those fish that died in 2016, there were fish there that had been on the river for 40 years. I'm sure there have been fish kills in the past, but they seem to be becoming more and more common because of infrastructure and people's properties. We can't create floods to represent what needs to happen in winter. Is there... Is there uh, a solution or is it just going to yes. keep happening it actually is it's um politically difficult but there's a fellow called um professor jamie Pittick, and he's um advocating that instead of um all sorts of little targeted environmental flows here and there that we do one sort of flow per year which is like a, a small flood and do it on top of a rain event it, it would be ideal so you use a lot less water um but run it through the system so it's at sort of minor flood level if you could put a minor flood level flood through um through areas even if you did it once every three to five years rather than every year 
um, that would actually probably be enough to, to, to keep the ecosystems really, really healthy um, and not be as expensive, he argues, as um, some of the huge infrastructure projects like the, um, uh, the Kundruk um, Forest uh, Irrigation Scheme, which is like a massive... Um, Oh, well, it, it, it basically turns the forest into a bit of a farm. The idea was that you put levees up and then um, flood that area um, for you know a certain amount of time and then release it. So you can do that. You can turn your floodplain into uh, into you know uh, like a rice paddy. Yeah, um, yeah, I know what you mean. But it's actually quite expensive, and and he 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 says it's only been used once. It's a massive, massive thing. The floodgates on it, the downstream side, are about like uh, six metres high and about oh, 40 metres across. So this is the scale of the thing. Yeah, right. But he says um, instead of that, try um, try sending a minor flood down um, every, say, three to three to five years. Uh, three would probably be better. Um, and he says that he's even... He's even sort of worked out the number of landholders. There's something like six thousand landholders or so that you need to um, to talk to and get their permission and um, compensate for loss of access to um, parts of their land for that period of time. But the it's actually achievable. Yeah, Could I was going to say it sounds very achievable. Yeah, it's actually achievable. And when you get to land which has got weirs. Uh, so the lower end of the river, it's even easier. Right, yeah. okay. So even with all the fish barriers and all the weirs and everything that we've got throughout the whole system, if we were to send a, 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 a Murray-Darling Basin system-wide flood, is that what he's saying? You'd send water out of all well, the impoundments? Darling's a bit hard, but you could do it down the Murray. Right, so you'd use the... Uh, yeah, hum- you could yeah. do a fine. So if you would say send um, 40,000 megalitres down... So a normal sum of flow is, well, actually, at um, it, it varies. So round about Aubrey, um, a sum of flow is about... Uh, 15,000? I, I think it's more like 24. Okay, yep. Um, but instead of the 24, if you were to send down, say, um, 35, um, or you know, it might be up to 40, that would be enough... And you only need to do it for um, you know a couple of days, um, uh, then that would actually fulfil all of that requirement. Yep. So, and it's not like forty thousand that you need to have happening at once down the river. You only need to send it down so it passes each area for two or three days. So two or three days flow at that level, and then you let that flood wave move down yeah be done. to represent what would normally that happen would, every right. Right. couple of years like the last yeah. what four years we would have had a flood like that throughout june may june july um with That's the amount right. of water we've had and yeah. these fish wouldn't die other than this other scenario that you're talking about with around your area which as you said seems to be a contamination issue that the standard hypoxic events would be reduced significantly That's- also, your environment would be a lot more resilient. So um, one of those things that I've noticed, uh, 
in my study was um, the influence of vegetation on black water. So vegetation is known to contribute to black water, but it also, I found it also filters it. So if you've got quite a lot of um, understory growth, like uh, tussock grasses or uh, reeds or bushes. So kind they, of like your riparian. Yeah, your riparian zone. If yep. it is healthy and um, uh, well vegetated, rather than, say, grazed by cattle down to a lawn level, when the water returns to the river, that catches... I, I haven't measured this, but, you know, catches like 99% of the carbon before it um, actually re-enters the river. So they act like a filter. So That's you can cool. Do, you can do things like that. I, I notice it again and again and again. It's really, really consistent. So or you have a healthy riparian zone and you reduce the effect, the, 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 the extremity of these blackwater events. So pretty and much. Local local contribution right so pretty much the entire the makeup of the murray river and all of our rivers worked perfectly fine before we were here they had their own way of dealing with by the sounds of it even times when they're in drought and they do get a big flood at the wrong time of year they still have or had a way of dealing with it and we've messed it up yeah. a little bit we have messed up however we can still feel proud of our river system even when we've got stuff ups like this um, it does bounce back. I thought oh, I was so it was tragic in 2016. Um, I, I just thought the cod are all gone, but they're back. Uh, they found their, enough found refuges, um, and that's what we've got to hope. And we've just got to hope that people keep doing what they can, uh, allowing irrigation water back in, um, working with um, fisheries, um, uh, many landowners. Uh, doing what they can um, quietly uh, to to improve their riparian zones, um, and catchment management authorities are supporting them there. Um, so you know, although we've got this um, event happening with the fish deaths, um, uh, overall the flood is good for the environment, um, and and I think it will bounce back. Yep. That's awesome, and we all have to pretty much get together and do something about it to try and, you know, <laughs> make sure the river's there for many decades to come, hopefully centuries. Um, so with the water, just one last thing, uh, and I really appreciate your time. With this water that's moving down, not separate to the contamination water, but let's say a, a big flood moving down, because we had a big flood in 2016 and we've had a fair bit of water around of, of late, is there a chance that it will turn hypoxic the good quality water will turn hypoxic being november now and it's still got to make its way all the way through the murray <clears throat> all the way down to south australia is there a chance we could see hypoxic events or there actually there actually is it's surprisingly um quick to happen um it's it, um you can get local contributions and you can get large scale contributions um both can be moderated by that sort of filtering effect. The filtering effect um, is less efficient when the floods are high and they, you know, just pass over those bushes and so on. Yeah. But if we get a, a flood which lasts into the summer, um, I don't think it matters really whether there is 
like three centimeters of mulch or 10 centimeters of mulch. There's a, enough carbon in there to to feed the bacteria and cause a hypoxic event. Right. So the big killer is temperature. So if this was to go through in June, July, August, September, it'd be totally fine. But as soon as Even, it creeps into when the temp climbs up, you're in trouble. Temperature's the thing. Right. Yep. That's awesome. That, well, that's not awesome, but um, it's awesome to have you on just to sort of touch on that and highlight that because there's so much confusion around it. So I really, really appreciate your time and I would love to get you back on to talk more about it. Down the track, um, I did tell you I was only going to have you for 15, 20 minutes, so my apologies for that. I'm sure you didn't mind because I can tell it's your passion um, yeah. and I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Reese. So there we have that episode, guys. And if you're like me, I was absolutely fascinated by that conversation. And that gives you a really good foundation on what black water is. I just, and what I want to do now for the next 10 minutes or so is talk about a summary of the issues. Now, this is really critical and something you should definitely listen to if you want to know more about your fish species that you love and care about. And before we do, I just want to just thank Peter for his contribution. It was a weeknight. He was busy with schooling. And... It um, obviously is a topic that I wanted to talk about straight away. So I got him on within a couple of days. He was more than happy to talk and hopefully we can get him back on in the future. So Peter, once again, thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate not only you jumping on, but also the contribution you have you are making to our native fish species and the river systems. It's incredible and just thank you for sharing just that little bit of time with us uh, to explain what is happening. So what I want to do right now is I want to run through four key or, or a handful of key things and the, the key issues, just a summary of what Peter and I talked about and why these fish are dying. So basically, the we, we already explained in the episode what black water is, why it is caused, and then when it goes hypoxic. So the first issue that we have around the fact that we have created a civilization on these river systems is that we are not getting enough regular winter, early spring flooding. If we got regular early spring flooding year after year or every second year, this wouldn't be an issue. And this is something that I actually myself after this episode, after that little chat with Peter is I spent a fair chunk of time looking at the data from about 1950 on Euston Weir all the way to pretty much today, 2022. And you can see the disappearance of regular winter flooding from the year 2000 or the year 1999. The last 22 years have been nothing like the prior years. There were minor floods, small floods, year after year after year, a couple of ones that didn't exist, but there were so many regular floods before that. And funnily enough uh, that Peter mentioned the introduction of Dartmouth Dam. That dam come in in 1979 off the top of my head. That is only fairly recent. So the 1980s, 1990s is when it started to catch quite a lot of water. That, from Peter's experience, reduced the regular flooding uh, that we saw, obviously for him, through that Echuca region. As he said, he's had a lot of experience living on the river, and he used to see flood after flood after flood, just minor floods mixed in with major floods right throughout the 70s. Um, And then after that dam construction, obviously it started to slow down, especially through the millennium drought. We captured as much water as we could. That has then caused no flooding to happen for over a decade and that is why we saw the major fish kill in 2012. So we need more regular spring flooding and the issue is if 
we try to create these floods and represent these floods, we damage, you know, property, bridges, we cut off access. And that's something that te- the, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority are not allowed to do at this current stage, which then means that, yes, we are creating these small environmental flows, but they are just not big enough. So, just touching on what we were talking about there, the 2012 and the 2016 floods were terrible and we were likely to have a massive, massive fish kill because it was over 23 years that the floodplain wasn't covered. So, the floods we had in 2016, 23 years of material, leaf litter, uh, cattle, you know, cropping, all sorts of stuff on the floodplain had never been inundated. That is why we had major fish kill through the twenty like that um, twenty sixteen flood because twenty three years prior there was no flooding of that floodplain. Now the what we've happened this year so the impact that we're seeing that is currently happening now this year is a perfect example. The dams were around that 70-80% full at the start of this winter and what we want to see and what we used to see pre European settlement. Even at the start of European summer, pre the dams, we used to see winter flooding that rolled into the early spring and cleared by November all the way through South Australia. Now, this year was the perfect example. We had a massive amount of rain in May and June and July, but we didn't have any flooding. We had a high river, but no flooding until those dams reached capacity through late August, early September. Now, they've started to topple through that extra rain we've got through September and early November, or it was most of the rain was last month in September, then we have seen a massive flood on our hands. What usually would have happened if we didn't capture that water in June, that flood would have passed through over the winter time. Even with this secondary amount of rain we've had to flood again in the spring, that leaf litter would have washed off the floodplain by now already. It would have gone June, July, August while it was cold, washed it all through, then this spring flood here would not have created hypoxic water. The problem is this flood is too late. A winter flood, you will not see hypoxic water, especially once it, if it clears and gets out before that temperature rises because we need temperature for that bacteria to really thrive and grow. The cold temperatures with floods are perfect. When we get floods in the later spring, early summer, through till so like midsummer, that's when we're in trouble. So the current environmental flow, so number two, big issue, is the current environmental flows aren't high enough. Now, I know the current environmental flows have been copying a heap of slack online because people think that just because we've, we've only recently introduced environmental flows to try and counteract uh, or try and replicate this winter flood, that this is causing the issue. It is not causing the issue. Unless you have data and science behind it, which you are happy to share with us, I would love to hear it. I'm fascinated in the facts, finding out what's happening, following the data, um, and I can't see any data that says they are bad for the environment. I actually, and like uh, Peter said, they're not big enough. They need to be bigger. They're just taking the edge off these blackwater events. We really need to get those floods high. They need to be a minor flood running through the system every Peter said every five years that this researcher has mentioned, but I think every two years would be even better because then it's really cleaning that floodplain. The environmental flows just aren't big enough. They are trying to replicate uh, and inundate these areas as best they can in the wintertime, but it is not just not doing the job. So from what I've seen from the facts, not from people who are behind the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, people like Peter, who have nothing to do with that, he is just an environmental scientist who is looking at the facts and the data himself, he is seeing that as well. So what they are explaining with the environmental flows is they are good for native fish, they just aren't high enough. 
They need to be bigger. They need to represent a winter flow. Those environmental flows are just like a little minor wash of rain. If you look at the data, I brought up um, a graph like I said. If you look at the data, we had a massive, way, way bigger floods in the winter time, big floods, small floods, regularly every one to two years, maybe three-year break. You should see the massive gaps between the rain we got, a little bit of rain we got in 2001. There was no rain all the way through till 2011. We had three years of rain there. Then we had a massive dry spell again all the way till the end of 2016. And we have now seen another massive dry spell from the end of 2017 all the way through to 2021. Those in-betweens need to have bigger spikes. And we try to do it with small environmental flow flushes, but they just aren't big enough. That's a big issue. And the reason this has all happened is on the back of the drought. The drought was the kickstarter of that first fish kill, which is something that would probably be unavoidable because it is one of the biggest droughts we've ever seen for 10 years. We had no rain to create, say, an environmental flow if we would have liked. So something like that, hopefully we never see. And hopefully we never see 10 to 12 years of drought ever again. So that's number two. We need more rain. Well, we need bigger flushes. We need more flood-like flows running down our river systems in early winter through to like mid-winter, early spring. We don't want them happening late spring and summer. Now, the third big issue that I see, and these I've come up with myself, all these three issues just from observation, number three is river damage. The damage that has happened to our river system over the last 30 years, I'm not. I'm only 28, I'm 28 years old, so obviously I've only seen it for the last probably 15 years I've experienced it myself, been fishing the Murrumbidgee River since I was about 13 or 14. But... I've obviously talked to people who've had more experience than me over the last 30 years. Carp are a huge issue. Yes, the carp have been here for quite a while, you know, European settlement, but they are getting... The population at the minute is the biggest it has ever been. It has done more damage than it has ever been. As we go, every decade that extends itself on, the carp do another decade's worth of damage to our river system. So they're damaging our river system banks, which then damages the riparian vegetation on the edge of the bank. So if you don't know what riparian vegetation is, in summary, it is the vegetation that connects the land to the river. It's that small strip of land beside the river where your vegetation grows, and that is actually the start of your food chain. That is where your insects, your bugs, your critters live that then fall into the water and pretty much kickstart the food chain for fish and any other aquatic species that live under the water. Those are damaged due to carp. Yes, floods as well, but those banks were way more secure, you know, pre- uh, pre all the, the drought we've had, those banks were a lot more secure. It was used to having floods. The carp have damaged the edges and cattle. Um, so farming, grazing along the edges have damaged that riparian vegetation. We need that back because it holds the whole riverbank together and it helps kickstart the whole ecosystem under the water. Another huge issue that we have talked about for many years is weirs, slowing down the flow. Obviously, these floods used to move a lot quicker. And yes, I know they removed some of the weirs and the locks down on the lower Murray to get this water to move. They've opened up the gates on a lot of these weirs scattered throughout you know, the Murrumbidgee River, all these other smaller rivers everywhere. They've opened up the gates to get them to flow, but there's still a wall there. It is still slowing down the flow. So that flow needs to move quicker. The other issue with the weirs is fish passage, massive big issue for repopulation. So once we do have a fish kill, golden perch are incredible at repopulating areas that is damaged with the inability to travel. For example, one weir that I can talk about that I know myself is Berenbed Weir out on the Murrumbidgee River. There's no fish ladder. 
There is masses of golden perch below that weir all the way through to Narendra. There are very few golden perch above that weir all the way to Wagga because they cannot travel. That's just one example there. So weirs are an issue um, and obviously infrastructure, which is not allowing us to create these big, uh, yeah, these winter flows. So that's number three is the damage that we have created on our river systems. This is That is something we can reverse and work on. And the fourth thing here um, is human contamination. Things like fertilizers, pesticides, chemicals, cattle feces, sewage, all these things end up in our rivers on a day-to-day basis and also in floods, mainly in floods. We get a massive dump of chemicals that are not meant to be in our river system and that is actually what is caused as Peter talked about. That's what he believes is causing the fish to die in that Achuca region where it isn't actually black hypoxic water. It stinks. Things that go by every year that we probably, it's probably made the the fish kills worse in 2012 and 2016 is the introduction of the feces from cattle, pesticides, fertilizers, more topsoil, more turbidity. Um, so it, it's something, I don't know how we, we uh, cater for that. I don't know how we stop this happening, but that can't be good for the environment. If we have any washing of chemicals, um, I've seen some chemicals when we looked at the fish kill happening at Blaring. I believe the fish kill at Blaring a few years ago was rollover, water turnover in the spring because it was oddly cold weather after really hot weather. But there was also, um, we looked at an information sheet on the, the chemical that they spray on the pine plantation and it said, do not let it allow or allow it to come in contact with aquatic life because it is toxic. The amount of fertilizers, pesticides, what that is doing to our water systems, I don't know. And I know we need to spray them on our crops so the crops can grow. It's something we need. So I'm not saying we get rid of them. I just wonder, is there a way we can try to avoid having all of that run into our rivers? And while either that's there, the river damage is there, we're not getting the enough, uh, our big floods in the wintertime to flush uh, the uh, the vegetation that is there or the, the, the leaf litter that's there. We're not getting those winter flows. We are going to likely see fish kills in the future. So how do we fix it? Um, This is just a couple of notes that I've written down. And obviously, after this podcast episode, I would love to hear from any scientist, any fisheries experts, anyone who's just a citizen or just just someone from the community who wants to have a chat, wants to share their experience, wants to... If you you disagree with something I'm saying, please let me know. I'm just explaining what we have found, what I've researched. There is so many other people out there who have researched other things as well. So if you have a differing opinion to mine, you may be correct. I'm not saying I am correct. I'm just saying this is what I found from the information that I have read from trusted sources. So and my own research as well from data. So I would love to hear from anybody. Send me a message, please. But how do we fix it? Ideally, we need to get the floodplain back to what it was before. We need to keep it as bushland. Uh, We need to rebuild riparian zones along the river. And this can be done. Now, some of the things I've been seeing around, going around on social media are comments like, we're getting these fish gills because there's too much bush and scrub out there and we're not allowed to go chop firewood anymore. That is complete garbage. Can you just imagine, close your eyes for a minute and imagine pre-European settlement back when these, you know, these cod that died in the Murray uh, in 2012 floods, 2010, they were over 40 years old. So those fish have been there since 1950, 1960. You go back again, they were, they were catching masses and masses of fish when the Europeans come here, hanging them up on string lines. Those fish were 50 years old. So those areas hadn't seen mass fish kills. The bushland before we got here would have been thick as you can imagine. We have cleared a stack of bushland 
And you're saying that a few changes over the recent years to not allow to go chop firewood has caused this. Far from the truth. That does not add up. You can just just think about what I've just said. It does not add up. There would have been masses more bushland back in the day. And even those things that Peter explained about the riparian vegetation was actually a filter and filtered out the blackwater as it dropped back into the riverbed. That ecosystem has built itself over millions of years. There are hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years to be what it is so that it can survive. We've come and disrupted it. Us not being allowed to cut firewood in certain areas is not the reason these fish are dying. So we need more bushland. We need more riparian vegetation. It's the We need to possibly, if we can, avoid grazing on the floodplain. And I know that's hard because the floodplain creates some of the best grazing country because when it does flood, the nutrients that go into that soil is incredible. But I don't know how we do that. But we can definitely rebuild riparian zones along the river. And this is work that Ozfish has been doing for quite a long time. So um, next thing, we need a flood in winter. We need a flood in winter so it is passed through South Australia by the middle to late spring. It's gone. It's finished. We've flooded the river system. Even if we get heaps of rain in the spring, we get another flood. The fish shouldn't die because the water shouldn't go hypoxic because there shouldn't be any leaf litter on the floodplain ready to leach out. We need a flood somehow if we can. And like Peter talked about, he believes the costs of the people that it will affect to run us a flood for just a week through each area. So it'll take a, a month and a half to get through the whole system, but you might only need it to flood at peak for two days and then it rises, it's gone within a week. Um, maybe there's a way we can compensate people who are affected by that. I'm not sure. Um, and then hopefully that will reduce the costs of what these fish kills are creating. Even just from a wreck fishing point of view, the amount of money in tourism alone, like there's so many other things, but I'm just thinking from a tourism point of view, I myself and other people won't want to travel out to these areas that have had fish kills for another 20 years because we're not going to catch fish. We, we, we enjoy catching fish. And if there's only one fish left, it's not worth going. So um, I think the benefit of, of doing something like that will outweigh uh, the negative if we're to run a flow, as Peter explained. I, I, I really love what he explained there about that. I believe it'd be great if we could run it every two to three years. I don't think every year is is doable. Um, I know Peter said that the, uh, the gentleman studying this said every five years even, but I imagine we would reduce uh, the severity of, of the fish kills if it was every two to three years. Uh, the trend we have seen since 2000 is nothing like we've seen in 100 years. It is not a normal flow pat- pattern. We've disrupted it mixed with drought. The drought... And the, the extreme floods, the extreme drought, uh, and what we have done has caused this issue. We've had floods bigger than the one we have had this year before. So we have seen big floods before, uh, but we have never seen such a big gap in the drought uh, between them. So, yeah, we need to work out what is going on there. Um, and somehow we need to avoid chemicals and human contamination from entering the water. I don't know how that's possible in big floods because it creates so much damage. Floods are, are uncontrollable. Big ones like we've just had, so I'm not sure what the go is there. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, it was pretty... I found it fascinating at the time while not wanting to really have the chat because we really don't want to be talking about fish kills. So I'm going to dive into more of what blackwater is, what's causing it, um, things we can do, talk to people out in the field who are watching this water coming down. We're going to touch base with a few people uh, on the blackwaters this summer, what it is doing down that way. And um, unfortunately, as we talked about at the end of that episode... 
I think we are in for a mass fish kill heading down that way. They've already started dying in uh, the Little Murray River, the Gunbow Creek. Um, we're looking at fish kills and craze crawling out of the water at Swan Hill. The one at Echuca, as Peter explained, was likely a contamination issue. Hopefully, that can be diluted before it gets down that way. But all the way through to Mildura, unless the Darling River can dilute that water... Um, it, maybe there's other ways we can dilute that water. I know that the Darling saved a lot of fish below its junction in the floods uh, that moved down previously. Hopefully that water, that fresh water coming through the Darling can can uh, save those fish, but uh, there'll be some big fish kills through areas that weren't really hit before um, upstream of the junction with the Murrumbidgee River. I know fish are dying around Bar Arnold and in the, in the, in the Murray where um, the Murrumbidgee meets. So, yeah, it's pretty sad. And sorry to bring it to you guys, but I just see a lot of stuff going on on social media and I just wanted to bring you guys some real content, not just some fluff and just obs- just random guesses. This is data from what we've observed, what people have observed, the data I've checked and, and actually what is going on. So um, as to what Peter said, he thinks some of these fish kills are from contamination just because it's still so cold, cool and cold. Yeah. Pretty sad. Anyway, that's it from me. Uh, if you want to reach out and have a chat with me, if you're someone who knows more about this than myself and w- would love to share your side of the story, please reach out. My email is reese, R-H-Y-S, at socialfishing.com.au. Best place to contact me is there. Send me an email there or jump on our website. Send me an email through the contact form. Yes, you can reach out on social media as well. Uh, please let me know um, if you want to have a chat, if you know more or if you know of someone who I should chat to. But in the next couple of months, there will be probably every second episode maybe about the floods we'll see we're still going to bring you plenty of fishing content because that's what we want to do but i really do want to touch on these floods and get some more opinions and observations from people on what is going on and more importantly what we can do i only just touched on it here but let's let's keep this message going and see what we can do obviously money is needed to do this stuff and obviously approval through government and changes to what what happens needs to move through so it's quite um quite a big job but there are small things we can do as well so one thing i wanted to do with you guys as an audience was to share this message and that's the start so this is the third year it's happened it needs to stop we need to try and we need to try and stop it because i'm not not keen for this summer to see what happens down that way and i feel for everyone who lives down there the communities down there i feel very very privileged to live in the upper part of a catchment where we don't see this stuff so it doesn't hit home as much to me um but we're hoping to do a road trip out there very soon to to film some of this content and bring you guys hopefully a little a video clip on what is going on, a little story to explain what is happening and just show you guys firsthand some probably graphical footage of what is happening. It's not something I want to do, but if we do it now, this flood, hopefully we can we can try and stop it from happening next flood. And and the work that the guys at Ozfish are doing, Braden Lampard, big shout out, mate, to the effort you and your team are doing, rescuing the fish and the, the craze, that is that is awesome to see and it is a start. But if you can imagine how many fish, the percentage of the population that these guys are rescuing, it is helping keep that 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 uh, population in that area alive, which is at minimum what we should be doing. But we need to try and fix this earlier. Braden shouldn't have to go out there and trudge around through stinky water and pick up these craze and fish that are dying, catch a couple of hundred. We should be able to save thousands of fish prior to this. So let's do something about it. That's it for me, guys. I'll talk to you soon.